Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the NFL! Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ. That's right, the Dynasty War Zone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas, and you can find me on all the social medias at Salad Galore. That is Dallas spelled backwards with the double L galore. It's great to be here talking to you all on another exciting episode, the second installment of the 2024 offseason for the NFL rookie rundown here on the dwz network uh, if you're not already a member of the patreon obviously get in there what are you doing uh, lots of fun stuff coming here in the off season a lot of the guys may be taking a little bit of a hiatus as we dive into rookie season as they've been the ones grinding it out during the regular season for me it's my turn to take up the baton and kind of dive into um, not only a review of the rookies from 2023 nfl draft which is what today's episode's in but also start diving into the 2024 rookie crop as as shocking as it is we are only three weeks away from this first senior bowl practice and a lot of fun you know new looking championship slash all pro games at the NCAA level. A lot of them are changing with the ability to now add in younger classmen that are declaring for the drafts, even in the senior bowl, which seems weird, but there's a lot of change, a lot of shakeup that will bring a larger pool of prospects to the forefront of your viewing capabilities here on TV with breakdowns from analysts like myself as well. But as I kind of touched on here, today's episode is going to be I don't want to call it an accountability episode, but I want to go through basically where I was at in my headspace on this 2023 rookie class that we just watched have their rookie seasons in the NFL immediately post NFL draft. I'm going to go over my rankings, where I was at with the players, as well as where they finished in respect to rookies at said positions. I'll show you the difference based off of where I had them, based off of where kind of ECR had them as well, as well as the average points per game scored in a half PPR standing just because that's what we all really care about. Who's getting your points. Who's not getting your points. Cause cool. The fifth tight end may have been the fifth tight end in the class, but if he's getting you under five points, which shocker, a little bit of a spoiler he did. Um, it's not doing much for your team. So we are going to dive in uh, kind of an account accountability. And then I'm going to pose some questions that I have specifically 
on six players from this rookie class um, that I need answered, basically. They will be answered during this offseason period as we see the personnel changes around them, but I am going to need these answered before I feel comfortable with these players and really feel comfortable latching onto them, is what I would say, even as a post hype sleeper as most of these guys going into their sophomore year that I have questions on will be come draft time and come rookie draft time here in a couple of months. But without further ado, let's just dive in. Um, we'll start with the two softer positions here at quarterback and tight end. Um, I'm not going to go through all of my top 12s for all of those, but I will go through basically the top five at quarterback and tight end that I had, as well as where those players landed on the list and where those top five players are now in the rankings based off of points per game, as I talked about. Um, no shocker to anyone who's been following my content. Wasn't the biggest Bryce Young guy, so he was not my QB1 in this class. My number one quarterback was CJ Stroud, and that is exactly where he finished. He was ECR QB2 in this year's class. I had him as one. He knocked it out of the park, averaging 18.5 points per game at the quarterback position as a true rookie. Absolute stud. Finished as a top 12 quarterback, which is exactly what you want to see. Um, and really, in a down year, was able to showcase exactly why he should have been the number one overall drafted player in last year's draft. Nothing really to talk about there. No question marks about Stroud. The arrow is vastly pointing up on that man as they will continue to build around him going into year two and again in year three. If they don't, it doesn't really matter because we saw what he could do with a bunch of rookies. Uh, number two on my list was Bryce Young. I had Bryce Young in the same tier as Anthony Richardson. Um, they were a 2-3 in my tier two directly below CJ Stroud and for two differing reasons. Um, number two on the year-end finish list was Richardson when it comes to a points-per-game basis, but I will also stress the fact that this man only played three games and was injured in all three of them. Um, not a great outlook when you're looking at the quarterback position. You need stability at that position as well so with how injured he was the worst case scenario for him is that he either continues to keep injured with him not altering his game script at all or they continue to dial back the rushing and try to make him a true passing threat he didn't prove that he was a consistent passer last year he was extremely inconsistent again throwing for under 50 percent completion on his attempts last year but his rushing floor kept him pretty high um, it's the classic Cam Newton debate, the Justin Fields debate of late. Will rushing floor keep him in prominence as a quarterback in this league, or will he be too banged up and too inconsistent of a play to really be a dynasty asset? That's where we're at with Richardson. Had him as my QB3. As I mentioned, he finished the year as QB2. And then Bryce Young, who I had as the QB2 in the class, actually finished as QB5, putting up 10.8 points per game at the QB position, starting all games except for three. Absolutely atrocious season from this guy. Terrible team around him. It was disarray. The whole Panthers organization right now, a lot of question marks abound, but I'll dive into that as I talk to him with one of my biggest questions after this little rundown. The third quarterback was a surprise to pretty much everyone. Um, it was actually Tyson Bagent, the quarterback for the Bears. Um, he backed up Justin Fields in the four and a half games that Justin Fields missed this season and averaged 11.9 points per game. 
uh, pretty wild that that is the third quarterback in this class, as well as that's how low the totals are. But there was a massive drop off in performance from all rookie quarterbacks as soon as you got past Richardson at QB2. Everyone else was under 12 points per game at the quarterback position, and most of <laughs> pretty much everyone's top six to seven quarterbacks did not actually hit inside the top six to seven. Um, Bajan, great backup, great long-term backup in Chicago. It's nice to actually say that. Still waiting on that QB1 decision. Uh, I won't divulge into that conversation until it actually becomes a thing as I do team-by-team -team analysis this offseason. The fourth quarterback finish on the year was actually Aiden O'Connell, and this is one that I feel pretty good about. Going into immediately following the NFL draft, I had Aiden O'Connell as my QB six. He was directly behind Stetson Bennett, who was my QB five, and directly ahead of Clayton Toon, who was my QB eight. Um, sorry, QB seven. Uh, he's a guy that showed flashes, and I thought if he got an opportunity, he would produce. He had a couple of good games, a couple of bad games, but he was a top five finish. Um, he's obviously not the long term solution here for the Raiders. They're definitely going to be bringing in another quarterback this year to usurp both him and Jimmy Garoppolo. But as a backup option and a flex filler, if you have very deep benches or taxi squad, definitely a guy I want to keep around. And then the fifth ranked player um, from points per game on this year was Bryce Young, as I already mentioned. Uh, the members of my top five going into the season that did not make the list was actually Will Levis. Will Levis was just under 10 points per game on his starts this year, extremely inconsistent, even though everyone was trying to, uh, you know, give him a little handy um, after his first week performance as a starter um, really came back down to earth over the last couple of weeks of the season, showing exactly why he's not the answer in Tennessee and why they're making so many drastic changes on that team, both from a coaching perspective, as well as a player personnel perspective with a lot of their core team members, most likely heading out the door this year in free agency. Going down the list, um, we saw a little bit from some of these guys in and out throughout the season. Um, the ones that I was hopeful to see actually ended up on IR very early on in the season and then never came back. Those two being Max Dugan out of TCU with the Chargers and Mr. Jake Hayner down in New Orleans. I think with the injury issues to Derek Carr earlier in the season, if Jake Hayner was healthy, he probably would have hopped in at some point. But those are two guys I'm still looking at down the road to see how they do as backups and potentially with spot fills in years to come, just because if this year taught us anything, it's that the quarterback position is about as fluid as could possibly be and will be shaken up going forward. That wraps up the quarterback position. Uh, really only two guys of note that you should be paying attention to. You can try to dive in on Bryce Young if you want to as a cheap option. Most likely he will be extremely cheap, but I don't think that's the horse I want to hitch my wagon to, if you know what I'm saying. We'll dive into the tight end position now because, again, I went over the top fives here. My post-draft immediate ranks on these ones were as followed. I had four tight ends in a core group by themselves. Didn't have any of them over anyone. Uh, I couldn't really dictate between them because they were all very interesting situations. Um, but based off of how I initially had them, I had Michael Mayer as tight end one. I had Dalton Kincaid as tight end two. I had Sam Laporta as tight end three. And I had Luke Shoemaker as tight end four. Shoemaker, obviously my biggest whiff, probably out of most positions here as we go through here, didn't get almost any work compared to Jake Ferguson, uh, aptly named Jake Turd Ferguson for some reason by Memphis, even though all this dude does is produce 
and it's just another Dalton Schultz, basically, that they have down there in Dallas. It's going to be years of success until, realistically, they do the same thing and ship off another quarterback, most likely towards the tail end of Dak's career down in Dallas. Um, the t- And then number five for me, it was actually in a group with Darnell Washington and Cameron Latu. It was Josh Wiley. Um, he was the tight end for the Tennessee Titans. He saw a little bit of work, caught a couple touchdowns this year. I think he had two overall, but really inconsistent, not a producer week in, week out. So we don't really need to worry about that. When it comes to year end finishes, though, we have Sam Laporta finishing as the tight end one with 11.6 points per game. Average in half point PPR, very solid performance from this guy followed by Dalton Kincaid at 6.8. Massive drop-off off the top one. And I think the biggest thing that came with this type of situation was how much more athletic and how much more of an easy walk-in usage total that Laporta was going to get over guys like Kincaid, Mayer, Kraft, Musgrave, those guys. So very exciting to see Laporta. He cemented himself in most people's book as a top three tight end already and realistically has no place to go but up with more consistent usage. Touchdown total probably comes down, but total touches could potentially skyrocket. Again, he could elevate himself very easily into that top two tight end conversation week in, week out with the likes of the Kelsey's Laporta, uh, Kelsey's Hawkinson's. Andrews, that type of, you know, realm. Number two was Kincaid, extremely inconsistent, mainly due to the fact that if Dalton Knox was in the game, he still was the tight end one on the team, and Kincaid saw very less targets. If uh, Knox was out, Kincaid started seeing a ton of them. Towards the later end of the season, they started mixing more 50-50, 60-40 towards Kincaid, but there was a lot more of an understanding that if Kincaid was on the field, he wasn't blocking. They were using him and were probably going to target him. So defenses got smart towards the end of the year and really started shutting him down. The next two on the list are two guys that I had at 10 and 9, respective, in my post-draft ranks due to the fact that, one, I didn't know which one was going to actually get the starting job, and two, because even if one of them got the starting job, I was pretty confident that the other one was better than him and it would start to cannibalize. And that's exactly what we saw towards the tail end of the season with the Green Bay Packers, two double-stack, double-tap tight ends that they decided to do in last year's draft class with Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. For me, Tucker Craft was an absolute freak coming out of North Dakota State, and compared to Musgrave, had way more reliable hands, was basically the exact same type of athlete, just a little bit thicker and a little bit more consistent catcher than Musgrave, so I liked him quite a bit more. I had him at 9 compared to 10. Like I said, they finished back-to-back at three. Uh, sorry, tight end 3 and tight end 4 in the class with a 5.7 points per game average going to Musgrave and a 4.5 points per game going to Kraft, which is really impressive for Kraft because that shows you consistent work throughout the season, even though Musgrave was dominantly the tight end one earlier on in the season. Very exciting to see what they're going to do. I think we might have a very fun tight end situation and tight end group here that can really elevate. It just means success is most likely still coming for Jordan Love, RIP my heart as a Bears fan, but that's most likely what we're seeing. We're going to see inconsistent use between the two of them, but between the two of them, you're probably going to get close to 1,500 yards from the tight end position every single year. And then number five for me, really disappointing season, but it was expected. If you paid attention to my when do I want to acquire these, you know, red light, green light, um, buy now window type of episodes that I was doing throughout the season for the rookie rundown. 
you would have known that Michael Mayer was on my list of guys to acquire going into 2024, not during the season last year. Um, I knew his success was not going to be very good. I still had him ranked as my number one because I liked the talent and overall arching theme that he has as a player, but he just couldn't beat Austin Hooper. The offense was disheveled for most of the year and only started picking up once they started firing people down towards the tail end of the season, started picking up his target totals around then as well, more consistent play. And he did beat out Hooper over the last half of the season in snap share. The main issue is targets just were not there. He was still cannibalized. They need a quarterback that wants to target the tight end more than what they currently have in an OC that targets the tight end more than what they currently have. If they want to see success with Mayer, I'm going to be acquiring him in a lot of leagues but it was a tried and true situation to where for year one production I knew what I was getting shouldn't have probably had him ranked as high as I did but live and learn like I said I only have two shares of him so I'm not super overly invested in him I typically am never overly invested in rookie tight ends but I completely see why Laporta was the smarter choice over Mayer if I was to choose between the two back-to-back, that type of situation. But that kind of goes over the tight end position. Um, As of note, the only ones that I'm kind of curious on that started to kind of pop towards the tail end of the season, there's one, probably the most athletic of all of the tight ends outside of San Laporta in last year's draft was Will Mallory out of Miami. He's also down in Miami. He is a guy that started catching passes late in the season and really started popping some of that athleticism. They still need a receiving tight end option down there in Miami. So he's a guy that I'm very invested in to see how he succeeds and continues to grow. And then very interesting. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in Tennessee, but we could be looking at Josh Wiley being the tight end next year. Um, there's a lot of shakeup that's going to happen. And if they don't want to use gadget wise, uh, Chickaquanquo, like he's been used as a gadget and a John o. Smith replacement as of late, then we really should be looking at very cheap shares of Josh Wiley. Cause I think that's something that could pop up down the road. Going on now, we're going to dive into the beefy part of the episode, and that is the running back and the wide receiver sections of my rankings and where they ended up finishing. I'm going to go ahead and go through the finishes and talk about where I had them ranked as I'm going through those. So number one running back, pretty easy. You guys probably guessed it. It's Devin A-Chain. His efficiency was otherworldly, broke NFL running back records at over seven yards per clip as a rookie and with over 100 carries on the season. Very impressive. But again, he barely eclipsed 100 carries on the season. My question with him is always going to be the same. Where does this efficiency stop? Does it ever stop? And can he stay healthy? Those are my questions. Um, He was my RB5 in last year's class because I didn't know how his size was going to translate. I knew the speed was there. I didn't know if they were going to be able to effectively use them. Silly me for thinking that a Shanahan-esque head coach was not going to be able to efficiently use a player, but here we are. He's at the RB1 on a finish at 16.8 points per game and half PPR, but the question I always will ask you right now is, would you still rather have Gibbs or Bijan over A-Chain? And I think 98% of people would still rather have Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson over a guy like A-Chain. That is why I had him further down my list and why I had him very close to a guy named Keaton Mitchell, who actually finished his RB4 surprisingly in points per game on the season, even with the lower body injury and IR stint that he was on. 
Number two and number three, pretty much chalk, um, pretty consistently. Bijan Robinson finished three at 12.2, and Jimmy or Gibbs finished number two at 14.8. I had those flipped. Obviously, standard chalk rankings for most people were Bijan one, Gibbs two. Still like the size. Arthur Smith also is no longer there down in Arizona, which seems to be good in most people's eyes, even though the run game, the run scheme, and the out-of-the-backfield usage for Bijan was actually really good down the stretch. And they need to find a team that is not going to completely transition this offense into a passing offense just because they have the passing options to go to. Um, You hope that the splits are a little bit better for him compared to what we were getting with Algier. But again, just repeatedly, Algier refused to go away and showed why he was deserving the touches. So that's the thing. It's probably not going to get much better than what we got. The touchdown totals could go up and the usage could go up slightly, but I would not expect him to be scoring higher than even what A-Chain did this year at a 6.8 points per game clip. Um, I think that might be about his ceiling, which puts him towards the back end of the top 10 of rookie running backs. Sorry, not rookie running backs, but running backs in general in dynasty ranks. So don't let uh, don't let your confirmation bias or your internal bias, basically, of your past illusions of what Bijan could be in the NFL kind of cloud what we've seen. Because with as many playmakers as they have, they would basically have to turn into the greatest show on turf or like the peak Bumblebee Steelers in order for Bijan to be as relevant of a running back as people probably want him to be. Gibbs, same kind of concept. Uh, I would expect another wide receiver addition, most likely for this team in the offseason, and they like to throw the ball quite a bit. The two-headed monster at running back isn't going away because that's just a Dan Campbell special. And so I think this is about what you can expect from Gibbs. Still very solid production, obviously a piece that most people want, but I don't think his ceiling is what we've seen from like an Alvin Kamara. I don't think you're going to get that from Gibbs. I think you're always going to have a little bit of a ceiling cap on a guy that is splitting the touches as violent as he is in Detroit. The RB4 on the year, as I alluded to, was Keaton Mitchell. I had him as RB15 immediately following the NFL draft, mainly because he went undrafted, but he is a player I have marked as a a learning point, along with A-Chain, along with another running back on this list, Tyson Bajan, and a couple of wide receivers, really. I'll get into that towards the tail end of the season, but it's not shocking that he had the success that he had. Um, I think if they get him a big bruising running back compliment, similar to what Gus Edwards was for him, this running game will be extremely efficient in 2024. RB number five finish on the season was Tajay Spears. You're looking at the future running back of the Tennessee Titans, and boy, oh boy, I hope you all grabbed him when you could earlier this season when he wasn't producing the big totals. Anyone who wasn't watching Titans games probably didn't understand how good this guy looked on the field when he was getting the touches, but he was electric. Very excited to see where he goes. I had him at three in my rankings post-draft, and he slid to five. Not really shocking when two guys I had behind him ended up catapulting, obviously, in A-Chain and Mitchell, but pretty status quo about what I expected from him this season in the 6.7 range points per game. He's going to be a very cheap addition, most likely, for you if you picked him up earlier. His cost is only going to go up, so if you're going to acquire him, acquire him now, early in the offseason before free agency hits with Derrick Henry. That's all I can tell you. 
Number six is actually who I had ranked sixth at my running back position, and that's Roshan Johnson. Finished at 5.9 half PPR points per game. Um, Pretty average, pretty standard. I never thought he was going to win the job realistically. I just thought he was going to be a good compliment. He actually underperformed a little bit based off of what I was expecting from this running back class. And to be real with you, um, he's probably not a long-term asset for your team. Pretty much anyone below here isn't a huge long-term asset for your team due to the fact of the competition that they have being just outright better than what they are on the field. Um, For Tajay Spears, it was Derrick Henry at the moment, but Derrick Henry is most likely gone. For Roshan Johnson, it's Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert is the running back for the Chicago Bears. He's going to get re-signed as he should, and realistically, they could very easily bring in another bigger bruising running back who's a little bit better through contact because Roshan was not the greatest at breaking tackles, specifically first tackles in the NFL this year which is kind of surprising for a guy that's as thick as he was. Um, the ultimate compliment, I think, for the Bears would be a guy like Andre Esteem coming out of Notre Dame this year, but I digress a little bit. Roshan met expectations exactly where I had him, and so that's about what I expected. Number seven on the list, um, this is Zach Charbonnet. So he and Jaleel McLaughlin, who is at eight, both finished with 5.5 points per game. They had a couple of boom weeks and a couple of abysmal weeks, basically is how I would say. Um, it was a fun little spell for both of them when they were getting the lion shares of the carries, but realistic long-term asset ability for these guys now that their complements in front of them are so healthy and have shown themselves to be severely dominant over them over the course of the season. I don't think it's looking very good for Charbonnet or McLaughlin, unfortunately. Even though McLaughlin was really fun, he could be a very fun gadget player if they continue to use him, but that entire Denver team is just mind-blowing to me. I Sean Payton is going to run that organization into the ground at this point, and I just don't understand how it's being allowed to happen. They had the talent. They had the right quarterback. It, it's going to get ugly quick in Denver is my prediction, and unfortunately McLaughlin may be a fun one-hit wonder type of story in an offense that could have been fun if they had stuck all the pieces together long-term. RB number nine on the season out of the rookie class was Chase Brown, and number 10 was Chris Rodriguez. They both basically averaged 3.7 points per game. Um, I had them as 12 for Chase Brown and 10 for Chris Rodriguez respectively. So I ended up hitting three out of the 10 directly on the head for some of the further back guys. So I feel more confident, as I said, because my job isn't to help you guys decide between the Bijans, the Gibbs, the A-Chains, the Strouds, the Richardsons, the Bryce Youngs, the, uh, you know, Addisons, the JSNs, that type of thing, because that's all your personal flavor. Everyone will reach on the players that they feel confident on when you're at the top of the list. I'm here to focus on the round two, round three, round four guys that'll really help you. So when I hit on players like that, like a Chris Rodriguez, who consistently got work down the back end for Washington on a team that didn't have a true running back one on the team, I feel good about that. When Rojan does what I expected him to do, feel good about it. The wide receiver position specifically, as I'll dive into, if you listen to me for rounds two through three at the wide receiver position, boy, oh boy, did you hit on some of these players is all I have to say. Um, very exciting to see that wide receiver growth, but these running backs, as I said, with the two previous before them, Chase Brown will never get the workload over Mixon. Mixon severely better. That running back core should be completely reshaped this offseason. I would be shocked if Mixon is still back. And if they don't draft another high-end running back, this is a team that would make a ton of sense for a guy like Trey Mason. Uh, sorry, Trey Benson to come into, or even more of a more shifty back. Like if you brought in Blake Corum to play on this Bengals team, 
let me tell you, that pass-catching ability, that quick twitch, that breaking tackles in between could be amazing on that team. Chris Rodriguez will be around because he's a cheap option and could obviously eat into that Washington team a bit. Um, Brian Robinson was basically what Alfred Morris was, is what I would say. If you're going to give him 250 carries, he'll get you to 1,000 yards, but it's not going to be pretty along the way. Um, So you could see another running back landing in Washington as well, especially with a new regime coming in, most likely. Um, if it isn't a whole new regime and it ends up being Eric Bannamy at the top for them, and pay attention to that running back is all I would say. And then that kind of rounds out the running back position for me. So let's dive into the wide receiver. Um, I'm not going to do a huge victory lap on a guy like Puka Nakua. Um, I did have him as wide receiver 12 going in uh, into the draft. I actually kept him at wide receiver 12 post-draft. Um, he was a guy that didn't get the draft capital. Um, I liked him a lot, and he was a name late that I was preaching last year, but I'm not going to say that I helped you get him because I didn't. I had multiple players above him as opposed to what I would have normally done, and this is the type of situation where literally it's like a Stefan Diggs. It's the exact same situation as a Stefan Diggs. Cool, um situation was mediocre he was coming in at best at the wide receiver three projected on a team that liked to run the ball a lot and was inconsistent with when they targeted people um you got the steam in the off season so if you listen to the some off season coverage maybe that's what led you into it but like i would say probably 80 percent of teams that had puka nakua on their team either drafted him in probably the tail end of the third early fourth or got him as a free agent using most of their fab budget immediately after week one. Um, You can't really claim it. Anyone who's really claiming it, I want to see the receipts of him in their top five, and then we can have a conversation because he had the best rookie receiving season of NFL history Um, by receptions and yardage totals. So it's one of those things where it's no one could have predicted it. Cool. If you succeeded on it, I unfortunately don't have a single share of Puka Nakua. Um, I ended up (laughs) taking Marvin Mims a couple of times over him at that 3-4 turn, unfortunately. And that does not look like it's going to pan out. Sucks to suck. It happens. You got to move on. Um, He finished, obviously, as wide receiver one in this class. Uh, Wide receiver two was Tank Dell, a guy that I really liked. I had him as wide receiver seven post-draft. Size was the biggest thing, but I thought he'd be able to immediately carve out a role with C.J. Stroud. The main reason he's higher than most people expected him to be is because C.J. Stroud just showed out way more than most people probably expected him to do, even myself. I expected more of a 15 points per game, put him as a QB 15 to 16 on the season, where I'd be excited about them bringing in a guy like maybe T. Higgins next year. But that wide receiver core with that offense with Bobby Slowick, C.J. Stroud at the front, I don't even think they need to make changes. Their wide receiver group is just plenty good enough. We'll see how they do in the playoffs here. But it's a team that I'm very excited for. They have their true slot in Tank Dell if he comes back healthy. They have their true number one outside of Nico Collins, who absolutely was a godsend for C.J. Stroud this year. And then if they bring in one more wide receiver to really compliment on the outside, the guy that makes a ton, a ton, a ton of sense would be more of a speedster type of build. But if they were to bring in a T. Higgins, like I said, Good luck. Um, He could throw all day and easily put up those 5,000-yard seasons that he was doing at Ohio State when he was playing in college. Number three, um, a guy that I was not as high on as I probably should have been, and that was, again, more so due to the fact where I thought that this team was going to be more focusing on 
their players from last year. I thought it was going to be more of a funnel offense, but man, oh man, was I wrong. Uh, Jordan loves, loves to spread that ball around. And that was tried and true. Um, Jordan, Jaden Reed stayed healthy for majority of the season. He saw the most targets on the end of the season. Granted, only ended up with about 700 yards on the season, but he finished as wide receiver three in the class above a lot of guys that played <clears throat> basically the same number of snaps as him on a team that he shouldn't have succeeded as much as he did. Um, I was wrong on Jaden Reed, and that leans into the tank Dell of having him lower than most people, or lower than I probably should have, as well as the guy that's at the end of the list, also lower than I had to. There's a common theme among my position groups that I'm noting this year that I have to really start to pay attention to more to help you all and myself out when it comes to prospect evaluations going into the next level with how this NFL is kind of, you know, altering and shifting in mindset going forward. Um, <clears throat> number four on the wide receiver list starts a block of five players that I had almost exactly where they were supposed to go. Um, it was a block of players that I ranked appropriately in my uh, post-draft ranks. And so if you listen to me, it worked pretty good for you. Um, <clears throat> number Oh, excuse me. Number four was my number four wide receiver post-draft, Rasheed Rice, 10.8 points per game. Number five was my number five post-draft, Jordan Addison, 10.7 points per game. Number six for me, Zay Flowers, 10.5 points per game, also number six. <clears throat> number seven was the one mess up that I had out of this block. That was JSN at 7.2 points per game. He was my wide receiver one. I understood what I was getting from him in the first season. So this is actually kind of what I expected. I didn't expect a gangbuster. I didn't expect double digit points per game from him. I knew he was the third in the pecking order. The thing that really hurt his stock though, is that Geno Smith did not play even remotely acceptable. The first half of the season is what I would say. And so him falling down to eight, as opposed to finishing in that four to five range where I probably expected him to honestly finish kind of tracks. And then Michael Wilson comes in as wide receiver eight. Um, <clears throat> sorry, wide receiver nine. I had him as wide receiver eight. Uh, he scored 6.9 points per game. And so that solid block of five players there, pretty solid. Um, if, if you got any of these wide receivers, basically if you went wide receiver in rounds two and three, you probably hit on your guy, which is great. And you love to see it. Um, if you want running back, unfortunately, if it wasn't Ty J Spears, Devin a chain, you probably missed. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. And that's kind of what we've always preached here at the DWZ is that the first round should probably be of running back. If you're going to take a swing on a guy rounds two and three should probably be where you take a wide receiver and rounds four should be your tight end. Who do you want as your tight end basically? Um, so if you followed that, <laughs> you followed that to a T basically, you probably ended up with one of Gibbs, Bijan, A-Chain or Sharp in the first you ended up with one of Rice, Addison, Flowers, Downs, Michael Wilson in the second, and you probably ended up with one of Luke Musgrave or Sam Laporta even in the fourth. So it, it's pretty exciting to see how this all breaks out. But the wide receiver position is pretty interesting to me going forward. You have a lot of movers, a lot of space eaters when it comes to the over the middle underneath type of targets. Um, last year was the year of the slot wide receiver is how I'm differentiating last year compared to 2024's rookie class. <clears throat> if you needed a 
sub six foot receiver that would consistently separate underneath had above average speed and would reliably catch the ball when it was thrown to him. That was the year to take that player. Your true back end wide receiver twos in dynasty fantasy. That's where you could have gotten. If you want a big bodied X wide receiver who will absolutely dominate on the outside, get you potentially 10 to 15 touchdowns a year. That is this year. Your odds of hitting on it based off of the vast difference in talent between wide receiver, I would say one, and wide receiver 15, um, pretty hard to do. Um, There's going to be a lot of flops most likely in this group, or it's going to be one of the best wide receiver classes we've ever seen. Um, This is the strength of the 2024 classes, the wide receiver position, similarly to last year, if you look at it and how it all broke down. Um, but the difference is it's a lot of big boys. Um, six three is basically the baseline for most of the top 10 of the wide receivers in this year's class. And if you need a slot complement wide receiver in an actual NFL offense, this isn't really the year to try and draft those. Um, a lot of them either decided to go back or ended up falling off the face of the planet. Um, but the top three in Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Roma Dunze, those three locked and loaded, guaranteed to be studs. They're going to go in the first. The second round is just would not even remotely surprise me if it legitimately went like 10 straight wide receivers in most people's rookie drafts this year. Um, very interesting to see how that pans out. But this is the year the wide receiver last year was. It's just kind of how we're transitioning in this game. And then the last player that I want to round out all of these positions at real quick before I talk about my overarching points on the episode is DeMario Douglas. Um, True slot, locked and loaded, going to be the slot receiver for the next three years minimum in New England. Very good at separating, very good at catching and contested catch situations. Just was a guy that had speed for days, but no size whatsoever. And he went to a smaller school, Old Dominion. Um, I didn't have him ranked. Um, It was one of those small prospects, speed, guys that I usually forget. But again, that kind of leans into my overarching theme that with the way that the NFL is transitioning, my biggest thing that I have to adjust in my process going into 2024, and I advise all of you to do is that size doesn't matter as much if you have the athleticism, the straight line speed, and the ability to run routes. Those three things are king. If you look at most of the just dominant wide receivers in the NFL right now, it's not a lot of the X wide receivers on the outside. It's guys that are extreme athletes, very quick in and out of their routes, and are able to make crisp routes look very, very good. Um, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be the Puka Nakua's that come in occasionally and just kind of shake stuff up. But if you look at it, Tank Dell, Jaden Reed, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Demario Douglas, all top 10 wide receivers in points per game. All of them undersized speed players with good routes that were, for the most part, kind of talked down due to the fact that they were smaller than some of their complements in JSN and Rasheed Rice. <clears throat> Same thing at the running back position. A-Chain, Keaton Mitchell, Jaleel McLaughlin. Three guys that... If you look at general standards are too small to be playing the running back position with the way that they are spreading everything out and keeping everything wide and being short passes more so than long passes. Look at the stats PFF um, in terms of big shot plays down significantly this year from previous years. If that trend continues, guys that come out of college like A-Chain, Mitchell, McLaughlin, Dell, um, Douglas, anyone that can be used versatility 
wise are guys that should be drafted higher in your leagues and are being put at a priority for teams. The guy that I stick on and I keep promising you is going to be good. He was on my prospect premonitions earlier. <clears throat> Malik Washington out of Virginia. You guys should really be leaving most of your rookie drafts with him. I'm just going to tell you right now, as long as he doesn't fall off the face of the planet come draft time, he's a guy that even if he falls under day three, I'm still going to be taking my shots on because the unique skill set that he brings to the table is just, it's what the NFL is transitioning to and it's what they're ultimately looking for. Now, a couple other questions that I have. Um, <clears throat> if you've been following me for a while, it kind of leaned into what my expectations were. I'm pretty good around the middle rounds for your running backs. I'm good at picking out those flyers, the guys with speed, athleticism, the running traits. Wide receivers, same. I'm pretty good at telling which guys are good at route running versus not good at route running. I just have my own faults and my own biases, which usually dictates why guys like Dell and Reed fall through the cracks, and I'm not huge on them. Bread and butter for me are quarterbacks and tight ends. If there's two things that you should leave this episode with, it's you sh should probably pay attention to my quarterback takes and you should probably pay attention to my tight end takes. Um, I'm usually pretty spot on. Um, the aptly named tight end whisperer in redraft leagues um, didn't complete this season. It was insane fall for me in my actual life, but it's a segment that I pay attention to because when it was previous, when we were doing dynasties and even redrafts, <clears throat> I would always look for advantages at like the defensive position, at the kicker position, just because it's where you can get an edge. If you can get an edge in today's game, it's not going to come from the wide receiver position. It's not going to come from the running back position. It's going to be at quarterback and tight end. And so that's where I typically devote most of my analysis to. And I advise you guys to start to do the same. Um, that's kind of my overarching thing of like the good things I did. Again, bad things. I got to not care so much about size. It's the biggest thing. Um, two years in a row now, we've seen undersized guys just light it up, basically, and I expect it to be the same. Even looking at a guy like Kyron Williams from last year, if they're good players, they're good players. I shouldn't care about measurables. And in all reality, I'm probably not even going to look at measurables going into 2025 until it gets to actual combine time because i'm not really going to care about the base metrics i just want to see what you are as a player that's one tweak i'm going to be making <clears throat> at the tight end position specifically opportunity is king um, athleticism is fun and everything like that but i want to know who's going to get the most potential snaps week one starting out in preseason even and that will be who i latch on to um, draft will matter more so than anything for me in any other position when it comes to tight end so that's what i'm going to be focusing on going forward <clears throat> now i have six questions on six players this is what i want to round out the episode with and these are six of my concerns slash things that i need answered prior to me latching onto these guys as post type sleepers i.e or investing in them if i don't already have them first one is bryce young was it the team around him? It's the hardest question in all of sports for football purposes, at least to answer. Uh, is it the chicken or the egg? It's what we're going to be asking ourselves repeatedly. All I'll say is that Andy Dalton looked a lot better than Bryce Young did this year when he was in the game. And that's not something you want to hear. I've felt the exact same way as Carolina Panthers fans have with Justin Fields. <clears throat> Still don't know the answer to that question going into year four, which is concerning, but it's a... It, an issue I need to be relieved. I want to know who the head coach is. I want to see what pieces they bring in in free agency rather than even the draft. The draft doesn't matter for me because they don't have the picks to really make it worth it. So who are they bringing in in free agency? Who's their head coach? 
who's their offensive coordinator. That'll be my distinguishing factors on Bryce Young, whether or not he's bad or if it was the chicken or the egg. <clears throat> question number two and question number three, I'm going to lump them together just because I have the same issue with these two players for different reasons. Uh, Anthony Richardson and Devon A-Chain. Their health and longevity is my biggest concern, even if their points per game averages are as good as they want to be. <clears throat> Devon A-Chain, four significant injuries over the last two years, including college. Missed two stretches of the season, including one random game later on in the season due to lower you know, lower ligament injuries, lower legs, uh, that type of thing, and a lot of soft tissue stuff. <clears throat> he has to rock up a little bit and get a little bit, you know, beefier as a player if we want to see him succeed, I think, long-term, or else he may very easily be one of those what-if stories and be a Percy Harvin. Um, that's what I fear when it comes to Devin A. Chain is that he's going to have the same issues as Percy Harvin, and then he'll be out of the league in three years. Um, it it's concerning. Richardson, same type of thing. Will they limit his rushing, as I touched on earlier, or will they lean into it? If they lean into it, he's got to learn how to not take as big a hits as he takes. And if they go away from it, he's got to become a significantly better passer. That, unfortunately, is not something that I'm going to know until we get into those actual off-season and early-season coaching pressers where they talk about usage. They talk about how they're trying to reel in, make him a better passer, or if they're trying to lean into the run game, use his tools for it. <clears throat> I want to know what the coach's mindset is because realistically that'll dictate whether or not he stays healthy or not. Number four on the list, Jonathan Mingo. Um, is there any upside in Jonathan Mingo is my question, and this will be dictated based off of free agency in the same way that Bryce Young is. If they bring in two wide receivers in this offense, Jonathan Mingo is pretty much dead to me. Um, pretty much no way that he has any type of upside being the third option in a Bryce Young-led passing attack. As sad as that sounds, lots of promise, physical freak. And his snap share last year was the best out of any of the rookie wide receivers on any team across the entire NFL. But he just could not translate it into targets for some reason. And I don't know if it's something that they have to work on at the tail end of the season and the off season between him and Young or what, but it's got to be fixed. And I need to know what happens in free agency before I lean into it. So unfortunately, not going to get any high upside, <clears throat> easy, cheap fix or pickups with Jonathan Mingo. Fifth one, Quentin Johnson, snap share. Um, this team's about to get blown up in L.A. Um, they already fired the head coach, the defensive coordinator, everyone on that team, <clears throat> except for the offensive coordinator. If they go ahead and make that change and allow <laughs> for the offensive system to stay the same, it could be good for Quentin Johnston. Um, the snap share has to increase, and that's going to be work ethic. Like Mike Williams probably gets cut this offseason. Keenan Allen probably gets cut this offseason. They're blowing everything up. They're trying to save money. They're trying to save pace. <clears throat> they re they're a prime candidate to take a wide receiver in the first round. They really are. And it's one of those things where they have to surround Justin Herbert again with talent. The defensive system didn't work. They'll be shaving off. So they're going to be in a lot of shootouts going forward as they have been. But most of their money is already tied up in dead cap, unfortunately. So they have to draft wide receivers if they want to improve the group. If they stay status quo with Quentin Johnston, it shows a sign of trust to me in him. And I'll be in. Um, this is, again, a free agent move, so we'll know mid-March what's going on in L.A. and whether or not we can trust Johnson or not. And then the last one, <clears throat> Michael Mayer. If they bring in another tight end 
of note that is a you know a, a bigger name and austin hooper is a bigger name from fantasy football perspective but if they bring in like a hunter henry to come back to la if they bring in a gerald sorry gerald everett is a free agent actually so if they um bring in like a gerald everett that type of thing i'm probably out on mayor just because it means that they don't trust him to do what he needs to do. If they bring in like a Tyler Croft and nobody another Mercedes Lewis, like the bears did, <clears throat> I'm going to really start diving into shares of Michael Mayer. And I think most of you guys should as well. Again, this is a free agent take, which is the back end of this is free agent. So basically the wide receiver and tight ends, I need to know about free agency, what's going on. And then the running backs and quarterbacks, I need to know about their health and about what the team is going to put around them for said health circumstances. But those are my biggest questions that I have. That's kind of where I ended up on the season. Um, for those of you that are not in the Patreon already, I kind of already hashed it out, but I ended up actually winning four championships this year. It was a pretty successful year for me, and a lot of it was on the back of rookie picks as well as trades that I made in the offseason. Um, it's this time of year where you can really make or break your season, kind of that lull period before you get to the combine, before you get to free agency, but immediately following your season. It's I know it's not a fun and it's a risky time to actually make trades. Don't get me wrong. I had a couple leads where I was stuck with Aaron Rodgers and Nick Chubb on my rosters after paying a first round pick that I ended up losing them earlier on in the season and then immediately wasn't a contender in that league. Um, it happens sometimes, but it was a successful season. Um, when it comes to my analysis from a prospect standpoint, I know what I need to tweak going forward. And I kind of address that with the size parameters. And I think once I start making these tweaks, I will be an even better resource, hopefully for all of you that listen. Um, but this has been an episode of the rookie rundown. It's been fun to have kind of a full length episode. Last one was kind of a teaser. And then we're about to start jumping into actual prospects of the 2024 film for you all going into next week's episode and those that follow. So make sure to stay tuned and be subscribed to the Dynasty Warzone platform across multiple platforms, um, podcast, YouTube. You'll be able to hear me weekly going forward on the Rookie Rundown as I cover prospects that will be on your Dynasty teams in 2024 and beyond. Until next week, have a good time, guys. It's 2024. Just enjoy yourself. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday, and if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.